Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the show. 15 and 60. We're actually going to do this one in two parts today. So the second half will come out tomorrow, hopefully relatively early in the morning so we can get you both of them. But what we're going to start with here is the fact that we're sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And we're going to go in order of the standings like we did last week in the 15 and 60. But since Liam was doing the Raptors this week, we know that they are uh, behind the Celtics by three games, although time in the last columns the Celtics actually played six more games than the Raptors have with this weird London thing they have going on uh but they were Liam's team this week so uh why don't you take it away with the Toronto Raptors Liam sure so they're seven and two since the last 15 and 60 27 and 10 overall third in net rating third in offense and eighth in defense and obviously their playoff odds are greater than 99 percent they're gonna make the playoffs so they've had a lot of changes you know from last year to this year obviously which I think a lot of people have covered already and over the last couple weeks I think DeMar DeRozan's really stood out as the biggest part of you know those changes and that he's really added some stuff to his game and not just the three-point shot he, he's shooting 39 percent on threes from um on like three attempts a game but he's also passing much better his assist percentage is much higher than usual and you can just tell by watching him whenever he gets they played milwaukee twice this week so we know milwaukee likes to you know have a heavy shifting defense and really challenge teams to make you know pass to beat them and he really did that a lot they put up huge offensive outings against uh, milwaukee both times and you can just see like just whenever he gets doubled in the pick and roll he's really become much better at trying to make plays out of that and just overall he's been much more effective uh, high career high uh, true shooting percentage 59 percent and he's shooting great from the mid-range like always so my question is you to you guys is you know how do you how do you guys view him differently in you know through the lens of you know the playoffs do you, do you view him as a much different player there because we know that we've had his, he's had his struggles in the past well, I do think that he is a guy who, if you have a long switchable team with, with good athletes to make him play one-on-one, that he can be shut down. He's not an absolutely elite guy going against the best defenders. Now, they can try to get the switch. With smaller defenders, there aren't many, if any, teams in the East that have a lot of guys who can guard him if they get the right matchup. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, he has not succeeded in the playoffs. And to me, the biggest development in his his game is if he can continue to make the three-pointer consistently to the point that he actually gets guarded then that lets Kyle Lowry do uh, play much better I think that the fact that DeRozan doesn't get guarded when he doesn't have the ball makes things really difficult for Lowry and the rest of the offense and so you kind of end up having to run everything through DeRozan and so if he can work more off the ball I think that's something that can give them some much needed diversity in the playoffs the question is just is he going to continue being this aggressive uh, from three and is he going to continue more importantly making them and none of us know the answer to that yet i mean how does this shot just look to you i mean does it does he look to have confidence 
and versatility taking that shot or is he kind of still like taking an hour to get it off and he's only getting them because teams just aren't guarding him at all no i think i think it's a pretty versatile shot as far as he's taken i think a couple off the dribble i saw when teams went under in the pick and roll he got one where it was like an offensive rebound in the corner he sprinted and took like a fade away and then stared down the bench on the way back but like it was just a really aggressive shot so you can tell like when he's feeling it like he's confident shooting that shot which is obviously a big thing because like you said i think teams are going to challenge him to make it in the playoffs and they're going to want to see him do it you know on the playoff stage before they really start guarding that because you know the other aspects of the games are a little bit more dangerous overall well one thing that concerns me about what DeRozan like kind of with that of course it's great that he's shooting the three-point shot but what you notice is there there's a heavy correlation with the games where he's playing well where he takes a lot of threes and so if they're going in cycles like against Dallas let's say he really struggled in that game from the field he only took two threes in that game so he was three of 16 from the field zero for two from three but then when he was feeling it like he was in that 52 point game against the Bucks, it's a mixed setup and so I don't know because when I watch them I haven't gotten a read for this yet about whether there really is an ebb and flow like that but what that means is when if I if that concept is right what that means is if he faces a better defender maybe he won't get into a rhythm and then be shooting his threes and if he's not shooting him then then that's a concern but again we need a much bigger sample size here because he's as of the last time i checked you know overall for the season he was still at about like i was a little bit over one made three per game so this recent surge is wonderful and if it encourage if it continues that's encouraging but we need to see it extend to really say this is what he is now and and just to touch on just other ways that defense like if he hits the three that's obviously great but the passing is something I worry about in the playoffs too because a lot of those short rolls they're going to be passing to you know if he gets doubled in the pick and roll he's going to be passing to Serge Ibaka and maybe they'll put OG at the four some and that's not exactly a dynamic you know passing duo right there so while they've been much better this season at like passing the ball um working it around for a good three-point shots there were some instances where Ibaka was just really slow with his decision making and kind of held the ball when they had an advantage and then the defense recovered so there, there are a couple ways that I think teams can you know are going to be able to you know to minimize his effect on the game and then not to mention defensively I, I think he's been really struggling still in the games I've saw I've seen the defensive rating is eight points worse with him on the court and they, they're, they're giving up a ton of shots at the rim and I think that's partly to do you know partly due to them giving up a lot of dribble penetration and DeRozan's a big you know a big pro- part of that problem and that he, some plays he'll have you know really good sequences will climb up a guy and slide well and be really aggressive but the the consistency with his effort just isn't there really now we're looking forward to seeing uh og ananobi against some of the best players he had a solid game one-on-one against james harden earlier when we did a a show on that they play the Cavs, which are doing twitter nba show on thursday and he also matched up of course with Giannis a couple times in the past week so what did you see from him guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo? i thought it was really effective uh a couple of the times that Giannis tried to like back him down or you know work his way into a you know shorter mid-range shot he didn't really budge much and that was kind of the scouting report on OG coming out he's got those you know thick strong legs he's got a really strong base that he's hard to move so I think that's huge for the, the guys he's you know going to be matching up in the playoffs if they face the Cavs or they face the Bucks you know Giannis and LeBron there, there aren't you know anybody that's going to stop those two but he physically is as well equipped to do that as just about anybody and with how he's been playing on offense you're going to be able to keep him on the floor you know without being a huge liability on that end where, where I think he does have to work is defensively I didn't think he was great in help he was slow on a couple rotations and just slow recognizing switches stuff that's going to come in time and obviously he's a rookie just getting used to NBA defense so nothing to be like alarmed about long term but I do think you know when we reach the playoffs this year he could have some of those you know rookie mental errors that you see from younger guys. 
And you mentioned some of the younger guys. Daylon Wright had a career-high 25 points against the Bulls, a guy who really stuffs the box score as well, but certainly not someone who has a a conventional game. He is shooting 38% on his uh, three-pointers, but I think he's only taken, you know, maybe like 100 or so this year. It might even be a lot less. No, I'm sorry. It's uh, It's like 50. Yeah, so not enough to say that it's any, we can make anything of that. It's really more his willingness to take it, but he's not really willing to, to take him so far but yet he's still been a really nice player for them so what did you see from him in your work i just really like him as a player he's such you know in the league he's very unique as far as how he gets his baskets he's taken 56 percent of his shots at the rim which is just ridiculous for a point guard and just the way he does it he doesn't have a lot of vertical explosion it's all like touch and deception and you know creativity with his euro steps you know reverses just reaching out past defenders off-footed shots and he's just really fun to watch from that perspective and like like you mentioned he had a huge game against the bulls just a nose for the ball like stuff that point guards don't usually do he was getting a lot of like putbacks and you know fighting for the ball amongst bigs and stuff like that and defensively I think he's got great potential you know good length you know great sense of where to be on the court anticipation he had you know read some passing lanes a couple times so I'm really high on him but I don't where do you see him long term because I know he's kind of an older guy in the league I think he's 25 now and he could be a guy that could hit the you know free agency market uh the year after next year with you know the crowded cap sheet that the Raptors have and I I kind of view him as like a starter level player especially at that point when he's going to be hitting his prime and presumably improving but I don't what, what do you guys see from him as a player like how do you value him well for me he kind of falls into a similar mode as Alfred Payton still I think older than Payton in fact but his shooting same way he both those guys that can get to the rim right much more efficient I think and also Wright has really been able to make more of a difference on defense than I think Payton has been able to obviously in a much better defensive ecosystem as well not a guy that I feel he's going to be a tough fit to really play big minutes on a good team because with his lack of shooting it's tough to play him off the ball but he's not ever going to really be dynamic enough again in part because of that lack of shooting to be the lead ball handler for a team you're going to have to have either a two or a three who's going to be you know similar to a DeRozan type for example who is going to be able to be the primary offensive impetus and now you're playing right off the ball and you know maybe if he can continue to improve his jump shot and more importantly take more of those shots he really just does not look to take those shots right now uh until he went four out of five of course uh, against the bulls but certainly defensively i think he, he's totally there he's got some size and switchability although he's not incredibly strong i love his anticipation and, and all that hard to see how he becomes a, a starter but given where he was drafted in the early 20s as long as he can avoid injuries i think he could be a quality player but the type of guy you know you might spend five six seven million a year on potentially you know and a guy who could play somewhat similar of a role to the duly departed from Toronto Corey Joseph going forward as he gets into his prime right well I I think I think we're a little bit off on like how how we view him because I I think he's a little bit better but I don't know we'll we'll see over time obviously so well so you so you think he can be like a a solid starter you he's the type of guy you would pay you know 15 million a year to assuming that he he develops in a realistic way kind of closer to like 10 to 13 I'd say I I I view him as like a starter but not like a high-end starter so like a guy that could you know 20th to 30th best point guard in the league or maybe a little bit better than that but I I don't know I just I really like the 
way he plays. I think he has a little bit more ability to play in the pick and roll than than you do, obviously. Um, the the shots, obviously, the big question. You know, will will that three point shot stick? And there's just no way to know that off the sample size we've had. Obviously, he doesn't have a good history going back to it in college, and I think he's shooting poor from the free throw line. But there there have been guys, obviously, who have drastically improved their jump shot. So that's the big variable in all this, as it is with a lot of guys. So that'll be something that's interesting to monitor. But yeah, and a couple more notes on him. You mentioned his work in the pick and roll not a guy who really does anything in the pick and roll other than go to the basket or look for the pass and he does get to the basket quite often for and you mentioned that he takes such a high percentage of his shots at the rim but he's not the number one guy in the scouting report it's also worth noting i think that he does not play very often even as the only point guard on the floor in fact he plays only 21 percent at point guard is 74 percent at shooting guard he's usually playing next to van vliet or lowry and both of those guys can shoot the ball right i mean he's really playing it as a two and so not all point guards that he's going to be matched with i mean i think it's possible that he could be a starter level player but so much to me depends on the fit and his contract will be expiring a year ahead of when Lowry and Ibaka's do and so he will be restricted I just don't see another team coming in with a big offer sheet to say hey this guy is definitely our solution at starting point guard especially when you consider he's going to be basically 26 at that point and he won't basically be 26 say, yeah. he'll actually be 26 yeah well it was either 26 or 27 I went with 26 <laughs> but uh, yeah he he yeah. turns he turns 20 wait actually he'll be no sorry he'll be 27 at that point he turns 26 during the playoffs this year yeah so that that's really if you're going to give a guy a big four-year contract so you're basically going to say whatever he is at that point that's probably what you anticipate so it's if he does get as much as you're talking about Liam I, I think that it's that's the kind of contract that turns out to maybe not be that great sometimes and because you're you're paying close to starter money if not starter money for a guy who i just he's not going to be a high-end guy he may well even be you know if you put the right system around him a guy who can be kind of a lower end starter but i don't know i mean you watched a lot of him recently he does a lot of things well he's as you noted he's a hard guy to classify but it's really more the fit issues for me than it is just problems with him as an actual player in kind of the same way that we've seen with some big Men, you know, Valentino is another guy even on that team who has a lot of skills. He, he's a good player, but just the fit becomes really difficult around him. And that's why I think there just aren't that many teams that he's going to work for. And that's why I would expect his market to be. No, that's fair. And I, I was just thinking in terms of just guys that like are, you know, having, you know, are perceived as having good seasons this year with guys like, uh, you know, Austin Rivers and like Chris Dunn. And like, I, th- I think he could be those caliber players. And now, again, those aren't like, you know, guys you want as your starters going to the playoffs. But if you're a, a team that's looking for a point guard, there's probably not many options on the free agency market because all the good ones are locked up long term. And with the Raptors, they have a lot of money committed long term. So I just thought he was a guy that you know teams might be able to get, and he might be a good. But that's obviously a ways away. But you you mentioned Jonas Valanciunas, and I think it's interesting right now the center situation on the team as far as you know what their rotation is going to be. Valanciunas's minutes are way down compared to you know his whole career because Jakob Pertl is taking more of those minutes. And you if you look at like 
like the thing, the role that they have for their center on the team with high usage guys like DeRozan and Lowry, you, you know, shoots a lot, obviously. That they, they want a low usage big that's good at, you know, rolling to the basket and sliding his feet defensively. And I think Pirtle's a little bit better in those areas. He's better, he's more efficient as a role man um, on the, uh, like, on the, as a role man with 1.3 points per possession compared to Valanciunas' 1.2. And he, he's a great screener, Pirtle is, with very good feet. And he's got touches and finisher. He's got set shooting 73% at the rim. And just a guy, as a guy that can, like, fit as a role player, he's kind of stealing some of Valanciunas' minutes. So I, I don't know what they're going to do at center long long term, but I, I think Ibaka is probably going to see a lot of minutes at the five in the playoffs. But how do you guys see the, the center rotation shaking out this year for them? Yeah, I mean, it would certainly be surprising if Valanciunas were closing many games at center. And, you know, I don't think he has closed many for them this season. Um, a couple other things that you just had some quick observations here on some of the other guys and um you know then we can get to that last sure. question so Serge Ibaka is having a great season shooting is 37 percent from three and 54 percent from the mid-range which I imagine has to be up there you know among the elites in the league in that area and he's shooting a ton from there obviously so he really juices up their spacing he's great at that uh yeah. I think his shot selection has improved since the playoffs last year and yeah and I'd agree with that like year. I like I said before I mean he's definitely making an effort to pass more and a little more you know plays off you know attacking closeout stuff like that but he's still a very slow decision maker which doesn't really fit with the way they're trying to play you know move it around quick a lot of passing uh, three-point shots so he, he's going to struggle there and defensively I think he's you know lost a little bit of agility which you know come you would expect at this age for him and he still has really good you know speed in if he's just sprinting one direction I think he had a block in transition he had several blocks in one of the games against the Bucks so he, he can still move in some areas but whenever he's trying to you know attack a closeout or when he or not attack a closeout but when he's closing out or uh when he switched on to a perimeter player i think he he wasn't nearly as agile as i remember him being so that's something to keep an eye on for him and kyle lowry i think his usage has dipped a little bit he's not getting to the line as much so some of the signs that you'd see from a guy that's getting older you know i think he's what 31 32 now so he's definitely still you know extremely valuable player for them shoots a ton of threes shoots it pretty well and he's obviously really respected you know out there so he's gonna have some gravity in that area and he's playing a lot of those lineups with fred Van Fleet right now like you said earlier he's Van Fleet playing a lot and he's getting matched up against the two and the Bucks were targeting him in the post and he's actually a really stout post defender for just how tough he is and you know how much he'll fight for position so he's actually those are lineups that oh, yeah. are a little more viable than I think most people would think so he's he's still an extremely valuable player even though I think he's probably slipping from that all-star status um although I don't know I maybe he's an all-star this year but he's kind of getting towards the brink of that rather than a surefire guy yeah and a couple of other, other things that, that you noted here is that they are uh, trying really hard not to give up threes and that means that teams take a lot of shots at the rim but with Ibaka I mean especially when he's playing at the four Valanciunas, Pirtle are, are guys who when they're in position uh, can be pretty intimidating so they have you know in a lot of their main lineups more rim protection than nearly any team in the league. Ibaka is probably the best shot blocking four in the league even still at this point when you consider that there aren't that many of those guys any longer. Um, so so they do at least protect the rim pretty well and that'll be a very interesting to see against Cleveland whether those guys can have an effect or they're just going to get spaced out as they have been in the playoffs so you're uh and you also noted Norman Powell is basically like not playing right now and poor Powell I mean he he was starting or or 
playing a lot of minutes and then he, he suffered that hip contusion and after after a nasty fall and OG went in the starting lineup and he got Wally pipped and now he can't even get on the floor anymore well fortunately he's not poor anymore so it's not that big a deal compared yeah to I mean that, that's going to be another very interesting contract which we felt like was a good value he got the Josh Richardson extension making about 11 million per season over the next four after this one it's very difficult to trade him right now with that extension but he is uh he might be able to help a team but obviously his value is going to decline simply by dint of not playing so Danny this is a, the question that Liam posed here at the end uh what is their best lineup in the playoffs Lowry and DeRozan uh, got to be out there Ibaka is probably going to play uh, at center uh Ananobi is really their only guy they have who can guard some of the best wings and you know Giannis and LeBron they're likely to play one of those teams in the playoffs that they'll need his switchability if they play against the Celtics who is the fifth guy to you and, and Liam same question to you when Sandy is done it's a tough decision because what you're looking for you don't need much playmaking because you have Lowry and DeRozan who can who can shoulder a lot of that but you want somebody who can stretch the floor who opposing defenses will respect there and ideally somebody who could switch the most positions possible especially if you want OG guarding the other team's three most of the time if that's your default then you want a guy like that they don't have Patrick Patterson this year that's that would be a logical fit so as of right now I feel a little queasy about it but I'm gonna go with CJ Miles just because they don't need that much from that spot and I think he's the best kind of the best square square peg to fit in that round hole of the ones that they have yeah and there could still be a a place even for Powell at some point in some of those lineups as well I mean you consider how small many of the teams that they're going to be playing will be in the playoffs will be playing down the end of games but what do you think Liam well I think it comes down to four guys you know Van Fleet Wright um, Miles and Powell and Powell's out of the rotation right now so I don't know how that's going to work out Uh, Miles like Danny said he he gives them a lot of shooting Uh, I think if the coaching staff if, if they had to make the decision right now my guess would be Van Fleet because I, I think they have a lot of trust in him and obviously that'd be a very small lineup having DeRozan you know guarding the other teams three personally maybe maybe it's just <laughs> maybe I'm just way too high on him but I I, I kind of like right in that role because you have a lineup with a lot of shooting there you know Ibaka's a great shooter at the five OG's proven to be a really effective shooter shooting from the corners and DeRozan if he can keep that up and obviously Lowry has a ton of gravity so you can you can kind of afford a little bit of a lesser shooter at that position and defensively I think you would give him a lot of you know switching versatility and you know just somebody that can make plays when that when they're getting a closeout off of those DeRozan pick and rolls yeah I think it we'll end up seeing a renaissance with Powell because if they play the Bucks, you know I think if they play Washington I think that you're you might be right if they play Boston you know there's just gonna be too many bad matchups with Jalen Braun and Tatum and Marcus Morris all guys who are are gonna have a massive size advantage um and if they try to switch more then they can get taken advantage of if it's Van Vliet if it's Wright who is not a very stout guy obviously LeBron Giannis all those so I think it'll end up being either miles or powell but even if they're going to play og at the four you might also say you know maybe it's pertle at the five and then ibaka at four and we're just going to try to go a little bit bigger you know especially against a bucks team that doesn't have a a ton of shooting or if washington is going to go with gortat at center and markeith morris maybe you can get away with that so it's going to be very very matchup dependent but i do think they're going to need the two-way play of powell because he's still their best guy who can hold up a 
in some of this iso switch ball that so many of their potential opponents want to play uh all right we'll be back go through the rest of the upper echelon of the eastern conference after this from SeatGeek, and i am getting pretty fired up for these playoffs here once playoff time rolls around even before then best time saver for tickets is SeatGeek. they aggregate ticket selling sites together so you don't have to worry about going to nine sites and then oh is there a tenth one i can check now it's all for you in one place right now and they also save you time and money by ranking all of the tickets based on value so you look generally at the type of ticket you want the section of the stadium you want to sit in pick the best value and you're done you know what used to be a process that would take 20 minutes and involve a ton of ticket fomo now you can get rid of that ticket fomo and do it by spending two minutes or so looking for tickets that's what i did when i went to a bucks wizards game in milwaukee got an amazing deal for my fiance and myself and if you also want to get an amazing deal you can get started with SeatGeek with $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase just download the SeatGeek app enter promo code CAPSPACE today easy room we talk about CAPSPACE all the time in the program that's promo code CAPSPACE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase let's get to the boston celtics now leading the east at 33 and 10 they are eight and three since the last 15 and 60 where they have turned it around a, a little bit back up to a 5.3 net rating fourth in the nba they have the 14th ranked offense which is actually higher than i would have expected since they have played a fair number of slugfests recently and the first ranked defense the question that you pose which i think is a good one and so i will pose it to you to get started here is they have this eight point four million dollar disabled player exception from gordon hayward and of course the the way that works is you if the player's salary is above the mid-level exception that's what determines the the amount of the dp so it's right at the the non-taxpayer mid-level exception it can only be used to either sign a free agent which i'm not sure which free agent as of right now would be worth spending that much money on maybe a buyout candidate could emerge later and that would put them in in the driver's seat or you can use it to acquire a player in the last season of his contract who makes it up to that amount without sending any salary back so what just kind of player do you think they will ultimately be looking to acquire what is their rotation missing the reason I, I thought it was an interesting question is because of Aaron Baines playing really well this year. And originally, I think a lot of us expected that the way this was going to go was it was kind of the best big man available. That it was, you know, whether that was Greg Monroe if he got bought out or just somebody on the market. But if Aaron Baines stays healthy, I don't think that's really a need for this team other than depth. And I think Tice has been fine for them. So my instinct is that if they were going to use it, just wing depth is always so important maybe somebody or or just somebody who they think has a little bit more capability off the dribble while Rozier has done a nice job this year and Marcus Smart also shoulders some of that responsibility when Kyrie is out just having another guy but I don't think the rotation needs anything which is amazing when you consider Gordon Hayward isn't playing this year and so the other thing and I have a uh, I already wrote it but I don't know so if I if I may quibble with you there briefly sure I think they need someone who can really reliably knock down shots that's true but where would you like do you think they would fit in with rotation they just probably be like a 10 to 15 minute a game guy is that the idea yeah i, I think so i mean they, i'm good with that that's a good you know, as an as a niche i think that's a good niche yeah someone who can play in and i think maybe help their offense a little bit in those lineups when Kyrie is not playing um when he's out of the game yeah but, I, but anyway what yeah but, but what so, was your next point gonna be so uh, 
it's weird to step on my own toes, but I have I've I've been floating this idea now for a little while and it builds on your concept of the human trade exception from last year with the war to see last offseason with the Warriors and Kevin Durant. Basically, one of the, the more interesting ways that Boston could use this if they decided they didn't want to prioritize getting somebody to help this year is they could technically, because their contract expires, they could get somebody who is a pending restricted free agent. So the guy that I use in the piece whenever it comes out is Julius Randle, because I think Randle's the most interesting with this. And so the idea would be, like they're probably going to do with Marcus Smart, this is going to be a horrendous year for restricted free agents. So if you can get them on a reasonable contract of whatever duration, they could use that as money to eventually either keep that player and be happy with it, or use that as the kind of ballast in a bigger trade for a bigger player, because right now they have all their money tied up in good guys. So my concept with it was get Smart and Randall on reasonable contracts, and then if, let's say, Anthony Davis becomes available, you use those guys as the big salary pieces as opposed to using Al Horford, who could be useful in that, but maybe either A, you want to keep Al Horford, or B, the Pelicans don't consider him a major part of that trade because he's older and all that kind of stuff. So that was my concept for if they don't see a player need to actually get some value from it in a different way. It's funny to talk about trading Horford because he was saying a few days ago that, yeah, all the guys who recruited me to Boston are basically gone now. Yep. <laughs> except Yeah, except I think he talked about that when they were playing Jay Crowder and, the, and, the, and, and Isaiah the and the Cavs. Right. Yeah. Um, so as we talked about with Toronto, I, I think it's interesting to say who are the guys who really should be in their closing lineup. And for me, which three, you know, obviously Kyrie and Horford are, are going to be out there. We assume they're going to play with Horford at the five. Kyrie is the one. So which three of Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart is it going to be? I think they brought in Morris with the hope that it would be him. He has had this knee injury has not really been able to produce so far this season but has more size and switchability and is obviously a better three-point shooter than smart my pro- the other problem with him too is he you know doesn't really he won't hang out in the perimeter he likes to like kind of just go stand in the post and then when guys do that you just naturally throw him the ball because you feel bad not throwing it to him and also he's like in everyone's way so you got to just throw it to him um but what's your feeling on those three guys i mean i think and then brown and tatum you know, are they going to keep hitting shots the way they have it's very interesting on a game-to-game basis uh, what that combo is going to be the biggest concern with Morris for me beyond it's kind of ancillary to what you were saying before is the idea that they don't really run a lot of their stuff with him because the ball just stops you know yeah the Morris the Morris twins have this as an identical flaw where if you want a ball and players movement system they're just not going to do it like that's just not who they are that's not who they've been and so I don't think against the right teams that you can really do that the problem is that I think against let's say Cleveland his defensive strength to be able to handle a guy like LeBron, whether that's on switches or as a primary assignment, is incredibly valuable. So I would say it's matchup dependent in that way, but maybe against everybody but Cleveland, I would probably be going at this point with Marcus Smart just because I think he can be a better cog in the machine. He is switchable in a different way just because he's so goddamn strong. And he has his flaws as a shooter, but I feel like you can handle him more reasonably than you can handle Morris in that role. 
Yeah, I think I agree there too. And that against Cleveland, Smart is not really capable. I mean, and obviously these are difficult assignments, but Smart has not proven capable of guarding either LeBron James or Kevin Love in the post. Love is another one, right? If you're going to switch around and and Jalen Brown can't guard those guys in the post either, by the way. So that that's, uh, and Smart can do better against those guys than Brown can because Brown just says, although he has sizes, no idea how to use his body, any, any defending any kind of back to the basket scenario. Uh, I saw the end of the Celtics Nets game. I, I know you watched that as well. We'll talk about that more in the Brooklyn section tomorrow, but because uh, they will not be in the top half of the league uh, when we discuss them. But I, I thought it was interesting that Stevens with Horford out uh, closed with Semi Ojale at center. He actually went small first, causing the Nets to take Jaleel Okafor out of the game and go with Rondé Hollis Jefferson at center. And I thought uh, Ojale, you know, still continues to be a complete zero on offense, but he. He had a couple of nice plays verticality defending the rim and he's so strong he actually had even some good post defense on okafor uh that he doesn't like sky off at of two feet to block shots he's not really a shot blocker but if he can get his chest into position he can be tough to score over for smaller players just because you know he knocks guys backwards when they crash into him in the air what i liked about that also was the willingness to try something that was a little bit different because it was match dependent because they knew horford was going to be there i thought it was worked reasonably well and yeah i mean you could you can go with that sort of thing i mean what what this the celtics and the raptors need to figure out is what is the most important strength that we could have in this extra guy and what is the least tolerable weakness like what is the thing that we can't survive and that's why like for me the problem with delon Wright and the raptor stuff is that teams are just going to help off him and yeah he can attack a closeout but i just don't think you're going to close out aggressively against the celtic with the celtics i think some of it is just baiting their bad shooters into bad shots and so that's similar, but a little bit different. And that might be an argument in favor of Ojale because he doesn't really chuck too much. He just has those weaknesses so that guys will, uh, opponents will yeah. help off of other people. Yeah, I mean, he really, like, uh, he's averaging only 6.3 field goal attempts per 36 minutes which is incredibly low and 9.7 percent usage which is one of the lowest in the league and uh 4.8 per uh solid enough defensively but man i mean the the offense just is not there the confidence is not there only 29 percent from three-point range as well and, and he actually takes about 80 percent of his shots from downtown as well their clutch offense you know they had another clutch win against the nets 87 85 not too impressive to only score 87 points against the nets but with horford out i think they are going to struggle offensively it was the irving show down the end he took some bad ones as he often does he set up Jason Tatum for a really nice dunk when they ran a side pick and roll action. And then when they led by two, Irving did it on the left side of the floor with Tatum, had him wide open for a pick and pop three and instead took a tough floater over two guys and then ended up getting blown by by Spencer Dinwiddie, who uh, Ojale had a nice play to stop him at the rim. Dinwiddie got fouled a bunch of times on drives late, but Ojale's play there was not one of them. And then they ended up forcing a miss at the very end but just still going to be something to watch very closely is this team's performance in clutch games i think brad stevens is a part of that 
Although worth noting that they two years ago had a better point differential than their record for most of the year. Uh, and then last year, of course, they were way better than their their point differential, and they are the same this year in terms of their record. So still something to watch that clutch offense. This is an obvious point, but I think it just bears repeating that we're probably going to see the Celtics and Raptors throw more into the regular season than a lot of teams because they know the incentive of finishing with the one seed, assuming Cleveland is in the two three. Like the be, the home court is is kind of a small part of that, but just being on the opposite side of Cleveland, I mean that potentially gets you an extra round. The the chance of it, you know, maybe Cleveland gets an injury, anything like that, and so we could see those teams use a little bit more energy if it gets close. And and the current projections are that it will be. I think five thirty eight has it where Toronto at fifty nine wins, Boston at fifty seven, and then Cleveland at fifty three. So if that's the case, I think you're going to see Toronto and Boston both push really hard until the last couple of days of the regular season. Yeah, and avoiding Cleveland would be nice but uh, yeah you say they are pushing hard but it is worth noting that Kyrie is averaging less than 33 minutes per game uh, oh yeah I, I'm not I'm not saying they're pushing hard right now I'm saying that it'll be different you know because you see a lot of those teams let's say the last two weeks of April just uh, the last two weeks of the regular season in April just kind of go oh you know we want to get right and all that sort of stuff but getting the the one versus two difference this year is bigger than almost any year I can remember but let's move on to Cleveland uh Cleveland 26 and 13 three and five since the last 15 and 60 including that strange loss in Sacramento when Vince Carter went off. Their net rating is plus 3.1, which is good for sixth, fourth in offense, 25th in defense. And the most important thing that has happened for Cleveland since the last 15 and 60 is Isaiah. We've talked about it in a couple different formats. Also, we we did, people asked us on the Twitter NBA show, we talked about his opener on Dunked On, but he also played another game on Saturday against the Orlando Magic. Yeah, seven of 13 from the field, 19 points did have five turnovers that's one thing that you'll see a lot of times for guys coming back from injury is just what you can get away with with your passes maybe getting into some situations that you're not used to so guys can't turn over a lot so he had five turnovers but four assists 19 points 7 to 13 from the field in 21 minutes as they won that one in an absolute shootout 131 127 and thomas's shot distribution in that game two of four on three pointers took four mid-rangers as well and then it was two of four at the rim i think that'll be something very interesting to watch is you know how does this finishing at the rim look at something that's despite his overall brilliance has declined to some degree as he's gotten older and the athleticism is waned but of course this is a team that gives him a fair amount of spacing his chemistry with Dwayne Wade will be something very interesting as well they're also talking about Derek Rose coming back soon which uh and that basically Dwayne Wade will get some rest but with Thomas back Rose really does not have a place on this team at all and Rose was signed of course uh, long before they knew that they would be uh, acquiring Thomas and uh acquiring Wade as well um how did Thomas look to you in that one he looks pretty good I I think that he's still moving better than I expected coming back from that torn labrum in his hip I was I don't know why the labrum in the hip I because uh, I was thinking of labrum with the shoulder but he's he's doing well there I like his chemistry with Tristan Thompson that has been really good for Thompson who has kind of struggled this year to to find his place and I mean Love has done so well offensively and you know he I think he's been better than we expected at center defensively just still not great obviously 
obviously. And so Thompson has been kind of going kind of rudderless a little bit when he's been able to play. And Thomas is just so good at finding the role guy and has so much, draws so much defensive attention that I think it's been very good for Thompson. I don't know where that goes. There, there are ideas of how you want to, how Ty Lue should run his rotation once you give Thomas starters minutes. But that could be something that you build off of. And also the idea, as you said, of the Thomas-Wade chemistry, because Wade is, he's such a smart player and such a good passer that can play him in a couple different spots. And I really want to see how they mix and match this moving forward because LeBron and shooter lineups are fantastic. And we should, I, I would love to see more of that, but then playing, maybe playing Isaiah with, with some different things just to see what he can goose up would be great. One thing that I don't expect Lou to goose up is minutes with Kevin Love at, at power forward. Those lineups have not worked particularly well. Some of those coming early in the season with Tristan Thompson before his calf injury when they were really playing poorly. They have not tried those guys together much. Some of it has been Love and Fry together during that also. They haven't been able to stop anyone during those times. With Love at center, they've been much better and he actually is shooting a career best 62% true shooting. By the way, interesting note here true shooting you know back when we first started doing this the league average true shooting was like 53 54 percent now it's almost 56 percent mm-hmm. uh so worth noting just kind of what average is i mean you really to be outstanding in that statistic now you really got to probably be over 60 percent whereas high 50s used to be pretty good um well so one thing i want to mention with the love thing is i i think it's a very good regular season lineup and it can work in the first couple rounds at the east playoffs as well but in order to beat the warriors or the rockets which presumably if the Cavs want to win a title they have to i think they have to defend better than they do with love at center and yes you're right they've defended better overall this season with love at the five but the ceiling of those lineups against the best of the best to me is too limited to make it your your best shot. It's a shot worth taking, but not your best one. Yeah, uh, I, that's a, an interesting point. And certainly you know, we've said many times and we've kind of just forgotten about this because Cleveland did win the championship, although you know not much thanks to Love, as you'll recall, in that series. And then Love's individual statistics at times were good in the finals last year, but obviously they couldn't stop anyone. And well, I think he gives a lot more more effort than certain other calves it's still difficult to have a good defense with him out there and so it still wouldn't be impossible to me that their best lineups against the best teams wouldn't include him but and there have been a few games that he hasn't closed this year he's not playing a ton of minutes this season either well i want to clarify that i meant that he's not playing center not that he's not playing at all yeah no no well I, yeah i wasn't saying that you're i was saying that that i think yeah you know, okay I just, I just wanted to just wanted to make sure that there was a correct interpretation i want to talk a little bit about lebron in the clutch as well just because it's been so superlative this year 24 games where it's been within five points in the last five minutes usage rate these are the nba.com stats as some people know the calculations can be a little bit different depending on your source here usage rate is 49.8 percent which is number one in the league it's ludicrously high but he on top of that 62.7 percent true shooting we just talked about how his true shooting percentage over 60 is really really good well lebron does that in clutch time despite the highest usage also 63.3 percent assist percentage which is insane and a plus 26 7 net rating they're 16 and 8 in those games so if you if for those who like the counting stats 84 minutes 115 points 19 assists ridiculous all right well let's move on here who is next in the standings these days in the east the washington wizards despite their loss uh on saturday to the milwaukee bucks which was uh, you, call, you call it a comeback loss that game went back and forth a lot they are 23 and 17 7 and 3 since last time 
time we covered them. Plus three net rating is good for seventh in the league, 10th in offense, surprising seventh in defense. And 538 gives them an 85% chance of making the playoffs. I think it's probably a little better than that. But I guess, you know, when you're only six games over 500, they could fall back. And I think where we should... Let me me ask you this. I mean, isn't there like a 15% chance at least that, you know, John Wall or Brad Beal suffers an injury that like really impacts their availability the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, that's a... a, Then all they they need is Thomas Sedaransky to to deliver again. But yeah, so so I I wanted to talk about that seventh in defense. Zach Lowe wrote a a, a little bit about this, but I, I want to get into it even more uh this doesn't seem like the seventh best defense in the nba does it just based on the talent that they have no it, it really it really doesn't and they have been inconsistent over the last couple of years they really did buy in early in the whitman time which was largely the same core of this team and then fell out of it in the whitman yeah. year and well last there was year, a think, very was important time. distinction there early in the whitman years and that was they were playing gortat and nene together and right you know still even number one the game was different back then and it was a different nene than now uh, toils in houston but uh, just playing those two bigs together i mean they did defend and it is still easier to defend when you have uh, two bigs out there is as a general proposition against most teams if you're playing you know a golden state or a houston or something maybe it's different that's true and what is a really really big thing to look at here and longtime listeners will understand my focus on this is three opponent three-point shooting percentage and the wizards are allowing uh, opponents are shooting 33.5 percent on them which is actually the lowest percentage in the league so that's really really good and while there are assertions out there that certain teams are better at three-point defense the celtics and the warriors being two of those the wizards do not have that history in the, in their back pocket they've allowed 37 percent or higher the last two years and so you don't expect that part of it to continue they're still giving up a really high proportion and a pretty significant amount at the rim and and they're not really holding opponents to great shots it's it's just kind of a middling distribution so if that comes back to the field a little bit just even that component of it their numbers will look a lot worse yeah and seventh the defense you know that's a it's a single digit number it looks good but you're not really that far away from middle of the pack if you just slip a, a little bit when you're there usually you got to be you know kind of top five to really kind of have some separation from the middle of the pack uh, especially these days when the distribution of the best and worst defenses is not as large uh, as it is with the best offenses i want to talk about john wall he has made some strides this year in cutting his turnovers uh which has always been a problem turning the ball over too much still a fabulous passer of course but some danger signs uh, as well actually i guess i'll I'll continue with the good stuff too uh career high 1.6 percent block percentage and and, you know he's still easily the best shot blocking point guard of all time and he is i think made even more of an effort to be somewhat of a rim protector and as players get smaller and smaller and there's more space on the floor you see smaller players doing more room protecting i think than you did in the past but he's shooting 44 percent from two-point range uh and that was down from 48 percent last year and he really just has not been efficient enough i mean he's been you know true shooting percentage around 50 51 percent and in this day and age i mean i know i'm not saying he's a bad offensive player still but if you're really talking about him being as an upper echelon type of player in the league you know he just has to be more efficient with his own offense and he's been shooting threes reasonably well where he's really been off is on mid-rangers he is shooting 26 percent on mid-rangers and he was two of ten on mid-range against the bucks in that loss and that's particularly a problem because at the end of games it makes him pretty switchable uh 
and you can put a power forward on him and say all right you know what like we're gonna back off a little bit and yeah take that mid-ranger we'll just get a decent contest but we're not gonna let you get all the way to the rim and he's taking fewer shots at the rim although still pretty solid 39 percent of his shots as opposed to 45 percent last year which was a, a career best and then also just has not been hitting the free throws he is basically an 80 percent shooter for his career he's at 70 percent this year so that'll hurt your efficiency as well he's a guy who gets to the foul line and we haven't seen quite as many of the awesome dunks from him and also worth noting too that he's had some pretty big minute games lately he played 42 minutes against the bucks in that loss is I guess part of that is they were coming back and they felt like all right we you know we got some momentum we're not going to take him up but remember this is a guy who's had all these knee problems in his career Bradley Beal played 42 minutes in that game as well he's had that stress fracture problems and while missed two weeks pretty recently with just kind of general overuse knee soreness not really the type of guy that you want playing 42 minutes a game during the regular season and I don't know if you know that I looked this up but the Wizards are 26th in clutch offense this year they're uh they have a 99.5 offensive rating in those clutch situations which are 83 minutes so far they're actually below 500 in clutch games and some of that is is bad luck you know just just having some rough games including some when wall didn't play like there was that one where beal missed a bunch of shots late i washington fans will remember what game that was i can't remember which of their painful losses that was but certain elements of that are structural it's just like who who's gonna kill you one-on-one against this team especially when the other when the opponent is really amped up defensively and that was a problem in elements of that series against Boston last year especially in game seven when their tired legs couldn't hit shots and so I don't think it's going to be that bad get it moving forward but when you look at it you go okay how are they like how are they going to make the best of the best stress out late in games and they have talent but they don't really have that kind of talent yeah i agree with you and their transition game is very fearsome and they are a team that can get hot but yeah in four out of seven games if it's down at the end i just don't see the guy who is just freaking you out offensively um because yeah they might be able to have more shooting on the floor than they've had in the past but i I just don't think that wall is necessarily an efficient option okay where are we going next by virtue of their own comeback win today the miami heat are now in fifth place by themselves by a that's, whopping isn't half that game. insane I mean, I mean i know everybody's really compacted there but that's pretty insane considering like what the fundamentals for this team are and you know where they have been at times this season that they are right now fifth in the east right so they're 22 and 17 7 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 but they have a negative one 1.8 net rating which is 21st in the league they're 22nd in offense 13th in defense and that 13th in defense I mean, we talked about their potential on that end that that, that, that could be better than it is right now yeah, although a lot of their good defensive players are, are injured right now you know yes they are and we will talk about that and and 538 gives them a 73 percent chance of making the playoffs which again i i think that's that's the best of any of the teams in their air oh no it's not because milwaukee and detroit that's right okay milwaukee and detroit are better have a higher odds than them okay but anyway uh uh, the game today, so we're recording this on Sunday night, they had a really nice comeback win. Donovan Mitchell and a couple other jazz players, Rodney Hood, had had some really nice moments and they'd gone up, I think it was 10 points with about three yeah. and a half minutes to go. Yeah, they, they led, they led, the jazz biggest lead was 95-87 with 430 remaining in that game. And then uh, the Heat were able to, to come back and finally actually, I think, took their first lead in those last few minutes with uh, a Josh Richardson layup with 
five seconds left. How much did you enjoy watching Josh Richardson at the end of this game? He was delightful throughout, but I think you focused on the end of the game and he was he was just everywhere. Yeah, he was. I mean, he, he had this beautiful lefty layup where he, he drove down the left lane line and eluded Derek Favors with by extending out, never even putting his right hand on the ball for a layup. He had that game winning layup as well off a, a nice play again, attacking Favors. Uh, had a dunk in transition during the last four minutes where his head was like up by the rim he really got up i didn't know he had quite that level of athleticism uh in terms of his explosion at the rim he got cooked a couple of times one-on-one by donovan mitchell but he also knocked the ball away from mitchell out of bounds off of him in the last minute and got a possession back for the heat they they still trailed even by five uh with under a minute 30 remaining in this one so yeah he, he was outstanding he's been playing very well lately and they've needed everything they can get from him i mean he was basically uh against the jazz playing at the four in their closing lineup they had Dragic, tyler johnson wayne ellington richardson and olenic and so with that level of shooting around him he was able to get to the rim and you know he's had trouble with turnovers when he tries to create but they did a nice job down the end of getting him the ball on the move where he can just go attack the rim and then have space around him and it was basically he and Dragic doing uh most of the work uh, offensively after today's game Miami now has the number one clutch offense in the league for the entire season and they are I think 16 and 7 in those circumstances last year they were below 500 if you swing one or two of those games they make the playoffs last year and don't draft Bam Adebayo presumably but they just have so many guys that that can compete and they they have a lot of a lot of players that are particularly adept at guarding twos which can be really useful it depends a lot on the opponent like a heat wizard series would be really fascinating because they have all these guys that can defend guards but i just the the challenge with them is how you want to put their lineups together because i did i did all this work in the uh kind of preceding this because i had been watching one of their other games and i was noting how different their whole team looks with and without hassan whiteside and so i went into the numbers and i looked at it and what i started realizing as i got into it though they've had very little lineup continuity because of all the injuries they've had waiters justice winslow numerous guys is that a lot of that also just comes to the way that they put these lineups together that their starters, their most used lineup is actually Dragic, Waiters, Richardson, Winslow, and Whiteside still. 125 minutes in 11 games. That's the most used lineup because they've had so many injuries. Is that they they play Whiteside with a lot of their more limited offensive players, and so it's those second units that flourish. And I think a mixed unit might actually help them in certain circumstances. Yeah, and also worth noting that with the amount of time that Whiteside has missed, it really doesn't seem like he's 100%. He's right. not had some of the, the effects uh, that we've seen uh, from him and you know they've been closing with Linux as they did today and that's uh, you know I, I think it's interesting there are definitely circumstances in which and against this jazz team that really moves the ball and has guys who can shoot the ball off the bounce from three out of pick and rolls and dho's a linux superior mobility was probably the better choice you know it wasn't like the jazz had rudy gobert out there either so i understand that but you know i mean he has not been closing many games lately and and for a guy who's 
has put up some big statistics in his career you know he's not exactly like Mr. Team you know if you looked over on the bench yeah he was standing up at the end but he was just kind of like all right I guess I have to stand up you know he wasn't really into the body language as much when Richardson hit hit that uh that winning layup but you know no, you're always gonna have guys who aren't that happy on a team it's just it's interesting that he is uh still by far the highest paid guy on this squad but you have to wonder how long this can last for the team especially with the injuries that they have Winslow is still you know I, I don't think he should necessarily be starting but he's still basically week to week uh Magruder is still out waiters no talk of a return date for him uh he's getting a second opinion uh, on his ankle soon and and maybe that second opinion will say hey you know what it's time for the surgery like you're not gonna be able to play the rest of the year anyway um by the way waiters uh if he misses three more games will miss out at a million dollar uh incentive in his contract for games play that's part of how they were able to shoehorn him in uh initially so i don't know i i this this team they're pretty close to where i thought they'd be record wise but it's clear that based on their fundamentals that they are just you know nowhere near as good as that 22 and 17 number five c in the east would indicate despite the fact they keep managing to pull games out somehow i don't think there is anything particularly sustainable about that and if you want some evidence of that just go back to the fact that last year when they went to you know they were 10 and 31 to start with they were way worse as a clutch team than their point differential would have indicated so it's not like there's just something about these players that there's they're just going to be clutch a every game like these same guys just didn't get it done in those circumstances for the whole first half of the year last year i don't really have any disagreements with that but i do want to congratulate hassan whiteside on getting his 13th assist of the season today that's 13 (laughs) 13 assists in 535 minutes this season um and i also going back to that jazz (laughs) jazz uh heat game i thought that spo did a very nice job of getting richardson and Dragic the ball on the move in pick and roll they caused major problems problems with the Mitchell was guarding Dragic and Dragic really was able to cook him uh, pretty well um and get the switch and then Olenek did a nice job being physical he got to the foul line a couple times at the end and then Spo after they forced a, a nice miss with by Richardson starting off by denying Mitchell the ball and then they had Rodney Hood and Rodney Hood just waved everyone away and took a terrible three uh, that missed just about everything they pushed the ball up Spo did not call timeout and then when it looked like things were not working out he sprinted out onto the court with about eight seconds remaining in the game and called the timeout and set something up which is exactly how you should play it as a coach so so, and it worked out well for them as they got a layup basically within three seconds. Anything else on them or do you want to move on? Yeah, let's uh, do one more team here before we take it to that part two. This would be a fun one to end it on. The Milwaukee Bucks are actually in a tie with this next spot. So Miami was in a tie with this as well, but by virtue of winning that game, they moved in. So then the, the Bucks, I gave them the tiebreaker because I think they've beaten the Pistons two out of three. They're 21 and 17, six and four since last time we did this. Negative one net rating puts them 17th in the league they're ninth in offense 26th in defense and 80 percent playoff odds since the last time we did this i mentioned their six and four four of their wins are just really impressive they were all single digits but they're just against really good opponents cleveland minnesota at okc at washington and that washington win talked a little bit about in their section and they're 17 and 11 since they acquired eric bledsoe plus 2.2 net rating just overall and of course the, the stats with what with bledsoe so out there even more impressive. 
Yeah, with Giannis and Bledsoe out there, they are plus 7.9. Their main starting five uh, of Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, and John Henson has a plus 13.4 net rating. That's obviously a great reason to bring Tony Snell off the bench and start Malcolm Brogdon, as Kidd has been doing lately. Uh, Really... uh, the whole point of Brogdon is the additional playmaking that he provides. He really is just a, a sieve defensively at this point. I mean, if you want to see an example of his defense, by the way, you can go look at that dunk that Westbrook had on Thon Maker and see, you know, that he just does not have any kind of juice staying in front of guys. Um, but getting back to just how good they have been overall, and since Bledsoe was acquired, the only guys with net ratings are the recently released DeAndre Liggins, which we'll get to, uh, and the aforementioned Brogdon. He's not even that bad negative 1.7 still another concern as we said uh, with their opponents on Saturday the Wizards the minutes Giannis again another guy who's missed time with knee soreness and he basically was on his way to play like 45 minutes and kid did the thing where he just plays in the first 18 minutes of the second half and suddenly then he got his fifth foul and then kid took him out for like three or four minutes which you know Bob Vulgaris was joking that he was going to save him for the last possession basically do like the Mike Budenholzer with Al Horford back in the 2015 playoffs Uh, but he brought him back in with three minutes left and he actually had a a ton of juice to to close out the game as they won it by seven after it was pretty close down the end but man I mean Middleton 42 minutes Giannis 41 even with the foul trouble was just you know they can't keep on like this it's just I mean maybe they can but you're certainly tempting fate they are pushing of course for the playoffs and the hope would be that when Jabari returns that that will just dissipate some of that pressure they are really missing Mirza Toledovic just as another guy who can play some minutes for them at the forward spots I mean he's a four but it's still you know it all kind of fits together with them and let's talk a little bit about the the upheaval upheaval makes it sound like it's on more important players than it is but they've had a lot of little moves over the last little while so they they cut DeAndre Liggins which was disappointing for certain elements of the team and Jason Kidd who had been playing him some serious minutes and they signed Xavier Munford so was there actually reporting on that that people were like pissed off that he got cut there was some like you know, a disappointment in the locker room or something like that but you need I, I don't know i don't know how yeah. in depth that was or who they talked to or anything like that i just remember seeing it but so so they did that and then they signed xavier munford to a two-way so that was all prologue to today because sunday january 17th is the or 7th is the last day that you can cut a guy before their contract gets fully guaranteed for the rest of the season even if they were on a non-guaranteed contract so they had a roster spot to use and what they did was something pretty interesting. They had Joel Bolenboy on a two-way contract. They made him, they signed him to their full roster to an NBA contract and then immediately cut him. Presumably the reason they did that was to make it to make it easier for him to get onto their G League team because basically then if a team wanted to claim him, they had to claim him for a fully guaranteed NBA contract for the rest of the year. So they paid an extra $22,000 to do that. And then they immediately cut him and then they signed Sean Kilpatrick who they had previously had to a rest of the season contract so we'll see if those machinations actually work out i fully expect them to but you know good to see john horse doing something and i'm sure they they want ball and boy on their on their g league team and so with all that sound and 
Fury, they don't end up with something dramatically different than what they had, except that Wiggins had played, what was it, like 12 games where he played 18 or more minutes? Yeah, well, this is this is great here. Uh, so Adrian Wojnarowski is a fantastic reporter, easily the best newsbreaker that we've essentially ever seen in basketball reporting, probably the best really in, in any sport. But if you would like to know in part how he gets some of these stories, and obviously personal relationships are part of it, this is the article that he wrote like a five paragraph one included these nuggets about about Liggins who uh, had a negative 8.9 net rating in 480 minutes and uh, after Bledsoe it was no better and outside of Liggins every other player in their rotation was like negative one or above so they included some of the following lines in games that Liggins played 18 minutes or more Milwaukee was 10 and one that I mean that stat has to have come like directly from either Liggins agent or he says to ESPN stats and info find me a stat that'll make this guy look good as a favor to his agent that Liggins 31 which I think is wrong he's not 30 could be claimed on waivers or become one of the league's top candidates to sign a 10-day contract there continued to be multiple teams interested in available wing players throughout the NBA uh although he did at least acknowledge his limited shooting ability so it's just it's a lot of stuff that just you know doesn't really mean much but it's like you can tell that the the thought process in the article is all right I better say something good about this guy as like a favor to his agent and that's how you know those agents then give him the news that he wants it's a it's very much a quid pro quo DeAndre Liggins is 29 he'll turn 30 in a couple months and uh the other thing I wanted to mention briefly with them is that they traded the pick for Bledsoe which is protected basically they can they keep it if it's 17 to 30 or 1 to 10 and my preliminary assumption at the beginning of, of when the trade was made was that all oh, the, the bottom two records in the playoffs will be in the east so they have to finish you know six seed or above to keep the pick well that's a little bit more up in the air now now that the bottom of the west is weaker so it might even just be that they keep the pick if they make the playoffs and i expect that they will have that they'll be better than the eight seed but that is a little bit of latitude because giving up the 16 pick in this draft i mean people i haven't looked at how good it's going to be in that that range but i'm sure that's a pick that they would be less comfortable giving up than where they think they'll be in a year or two let's do one more team actually that's only six <laughs> let's do one more I'm, I'm on a roll here well that's good also because the other team is the team that's tied with the milwaukee bucks so we'll kind of done this troika that are all basically with the same record that team is the detroit pistons the pistons are 21 and 17 four and four since the last 15 and 60 slightly negative net rating uh negative 0.3 that's 15th in the league they're 19th in offense 11th in defense and 538 gives them a 76 percent chance of making the play playoffs and their january 7th move was that they unsurprisingly guaranteed eric morland's contract for the remainder of the season andre drummond has missed the last couple of games due to sore ribs he's questionable for their next game and so morland actually started on the day that they informed him that they were going to pick him up for the rest of the year and he started at center uh for them as he's kind of been bouncing back and forth a little bit with boban marjanovic who has been the subject of intrigue i mean i i think I watched the beginning of that game where they played against the Miami Heat, and it was a wonderful encapsulation of something. And I think it had come that game happened right after Chris Herring's piece at 538 came out. I can't remember what the chronology was, but they were close. About the idea that Boban is this remarkably efficient scorer, but there's a reason why he doesn't play that much despite that historical offensive efficiency. Yeah, and that is that he's tethered to paint. And in fact, he talks about the matchup with Kelly Olinick and the Heat in this game where a 
Olenek scored eight points in a row basically in an 8-0 run with Boban trying to guard him and we've talked about hey you know what this guy is just so efficient offensively let's just see what happens if you put him out there and now Linux is a very tough matchup as a five. He's like a true stretch five who, you know, causes a lot of trouble for traditional centers. And so after that run, Van Gundy took him out and only played him when Olenek wasn't on the floor. And so it's really... I still think that maybe, you know, there could be more situations to use him, uh, talking about Boban here, but coaches are going to react to something like that that seems very acute. I mean, if, if a center is shooting mid-rangers or it, you can exploit him in, in high pick and roll because also you can exploit him if you just set a screen and he's not going to be able to get out on the floor and s- slide with anyone. So if you have a guy who can shoot threes off the dribble, it, you can score really easily. And then it, you know, coaches kind of see something that acute on defense and yeah, you know what, he'll score score he'll get offense rebounds but it's sort of like it seems like he just should be doing that you know because he's finishing mostly what others are starting or he's getting on the offensive glass and so it doesn't really seem as spectacular when he does score as what some of his uh, limitations are uh and you know he's really slow in transition as well um well so another but, yeah big, this is something we've known for a while yeah another big him. factor that i think is a mitigate it's a challenge for the pistons is the fact that they have on Andre Drummond when he's healthy on the team because Drummond is better against traditional centers too. I mean, there was a vision of him when he was young, but both when he was at UConn and early at the Pistons, that he could be this switch defender and that he could do a good job in those sorts of circumstances. And there have been moments where he's looked okay there, but I just, I have, when I watch them, I don't see him as being that dynamic kind of guy. So I think you want to have him, you know, he he's your guy when another team has their traditional centers out there. And so then that takes away a time that would be be good for Boban so you could go to a mix with an, with a different team you could go to sort of a mix and match approach sort of like what the Warriors have periodically done with Zaza Pachulia like in the Christmas Day game where they didn't play him or uh, that's actually something that Brad Stevens has done very well with with Aaron Baines but you can't do that if the guy above him on the pecking order has similar priorities and preferences because then he's going to get those minutes first we should also talk about how they have looked since uh, Reggie Jackson went down on the day after christmas they lost at orlando at the heat and then were brutally blown out uh at the sixers scoring only 78 points but i've also actually had some reasonable wins at home being the rockets uh, by seven with no james harden of course and the spurs who were playing without really nobody in that game actually when the spurs only put up 79 points on them although obviously Kawhi was still in the phrase of the comeback danny green has not been the same but nonetheless that was a really nice win at home so they've shown some ability here it's just that their offense they've scored well less than 100 points in three of the five games all losses well i mean their, their offensive rating in those yeah. five games is 98 6 that's bad real bad and and so their defense yeah 105 3 that's quite good for you know i mean it's obviously it's a really small sample but if you score that little you're not going to beat that many people and so yeah they got that the the rock fight against the spurs which i thought that they looked very good and i thought they looked very good against the rockets too and there was a point in that game where it looked like it was going to get it was it was 
was getting away from them. They had like a 13 point lead, cut it to three, but then they ended up pushing it back out, fought, fought it off, which I thought was a nice job by them. But they're going to have to be better there. And I think they will be the, just in terms of the surely the Dude, are they, though? Why, why are they going to be? Uh, I mean, so so they're two and three. I mean, why are they going to be better than that without well, no, the Reggie two and Jackson? three? They might not be better than but the 98 six offensive rating. Like, oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. The overall, I, I mean, I think they'll be a little worse on defense and and a little bit better on offense. And yeah, that's about. Well, so so if you I mean, what like just fundamentally without Reggie Jackson, like what kind of team are, are they like? What what kind of win percentage team are they? I think they're like, oh, I was thinking about it in terms of the total wins. I was thinking more like. a Yeah, no, that, that's win. a better way to do it, actually. Yeah, like yeah, a mid-30s, so they're like, something yeah. in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Like a 35 win type of team. So yeah, like I so I would say they would be, you know, they would be on average, like a slight favorite at home, like assuming uh, like a league average team and, a, a you know, a couple point underdog on the road. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if that is in fact the case, you know, they're looking at probably being right around 500 maybe a little bit below if and when jackson can return but you know again he's we don't even know when that's going to be and and how effective he'll be obviously really struggled to come back from that knee injury before and this injury is not even supposed to be reevaluated for six to eight weeks after suffering it in late december and you know this is a, a bad enough injury that you wonder whether you know at least especially until he has like a summer to rehab it as he did with that knee tendonitis you wonder about whether he's going to be able to give them that much so I, I think hard to imagine for this team that they I mean I think they're probably it's probably more likely that they make the playoffs than finish like above you know finish at the sixth seed or higher I would say something else to kind of keep in the back of your mind is that they play a lot of games in the near term against teams that you are kind of in that middle ground so I talked about the idea of maybe being a slight slight underdog on the road so they play New Orleans on Monday that'll be a tough game for them then Brooklyn and Chicago on the road so both those games and then i expect them to lose at toronto but then it's like charlotte at home washington at home brooklyn at home utah at home okc like if they can go three and two and let's say those five home games then you know that that's a decent little foundation that they can build on but if you go like one and four in those games then this can start to get away from them so they're they just we're gonna learn a lot more i mean they've had these kind of they've had these couple of good games since he's since reggie's been out and that's obviously encouraging and this can be good but i want to i want to see it get tested more and we're going to get that opportunity hopefully drummond comes back soon i i heard he's questionable for that game on monday after that we'll see because they they do need more depth and they need all of their guys like tobias harris that have been ridiculous shooting this year they're going to need those guys to keep it up because ish smith can be can be a capable steward for running their offense but they're going to need a lot for everybody yeah i mean i would have to say that of the sixers heat and pacers the pistons are probably looking they are four games over 500 right now but with the jackson injury they're looking like the least likely of those teams to me to make the playoffs uh, especially now that Oladipo has returned and all is right uh, in pacer land um yeah, I think I think their, yeah. their place in this is the nine spot and so what I always de- determine by the nine spot is I mean that on talent so what that means is somebody can fall past them and get them into the playoffs but they're going to need somebody to fall past them all right that'll do it for part one of our 15 and 6, we'll be back with the rest of the East. Don't forget our sponsor, SeatGeek. Use that cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.